the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the Book of Numbers. Praise to the God who reigns above. God had performed many miracles, signs, and wonders in front of the children of Israel. They had seen God set them free from the oppressive rule of Egypt. God provided for their physical needs while traveling through the desert wilderness. But the people rejected God's plan to enter and conquer the land of Canaan, the land of promise. They had also questioned Moses and ultimately God's authority by engaging in a rebellion initiated by a man named Korah. More than 200 people died. Have the Israelites finally learned to trust God and stop questioning His authority? We join Pastor Will in Numbers chapter 16, verse 41. Well, if you've been here on Sunday nights, you know that Israel has made a mess of things since leaving the Sinai, right? We've got complaining, we've got rebellion, we've got unbelief. I mean, you name it, they have done it. And the last catastrophe that we saw in chapter 16, the beginning, it left at least 250 people dead. Some of them swallowed alive by the earth and everyone else running in terror. You would think at this point that, okay, don't mess with the Lord. But sadly, as we get here to chapter 16, verse 41, verse 41 starts with the word, but. Not and, Israel submitted to the Lord, but. But even though God lovingly told Eliezer to construct a memorial plate from the rebels' coal pans, their censers, they they put their strange fire in, their strange incense in, God had him lovingly had him construct that plate as a reminder so they wouldn't repeat this mistake. We're going to find today that they confront Moses again. And the question is, is this has been happening time after time after time after time. Will Moses and Aaron Stand up for the people this time. Will they stand in the gap for them this time? Or will they turn on them and just say, I'm done, I've had enough? Well, may the Lord teach us what it means to truly serve others as we find out. So chapter 16, verse 41. But on the morrow, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. You have murdered them. Having seen God's judgment the day before, I'm not really sure how they mustered up the nerve to play the spiritual card here. They come to Moses and Aaron. They basically say, this is your fault. You, you set us up. You killed them. See, you knew that they were kind of wanting to share power with you. And you knew that the Lord would kill them if they offered a strange fire. And so you set them up. You murdered God's people. You guys are bad guys. I don't know how they came up with a nerve for it, but they did. And their accusation is absurd. God gave all of these guys an opportunity to repent. He said, hey, everybody doesn't want to be judged. Move away from their tents, right? They said, hey, we'd like out of the tents too. I imagine the Lord would have forgiven them if they'd come to the Lord. We talked about the guy on who there's no judgment for him. And it's possible that he did repent and he didn't experience God's judgment. God gave them opportunities to repent. Moses had a private meeting with Korah, wanted to meet privately with Datham and Abiram to warn them beforehand. 
anyone who perished could have turned around and God would have shown mercy. Also, Moses didn't make the earth swallow them, nor did he have a magic button to make fire shoot out of a cloud. Only God could have done that. Somehow, these guys convinced themselves that Moses and Aaron saw an opportunity to make their position of power even stronger by getting God to judge the rebels. There's some bad logic in that. Because wouldn't God know if Moses and Aaron meant harm? Wouldn't God know if they were setting these 250 leaders up? Or does God have oopsies? Does God have moments like that where he's like, oh, didn't see that one coming, oopsie. No, God certainly doesn't have any oopsies, okay? So ultimately, their complaint here is really not even against Moses and Aaron, right? It's against the Lord. Lord, you've killed your own people. Verse 42, and it came to pass when the congregation was gathered against Moses and Aaron. So they came and they surrounded them. They're like, you know what? You guys are done. We're done having you, you guys lead us. That they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation and behold, uh-oh, behold, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared. We've been through this a few times before. You would think they would know this is what's going to happen when you attack God's people. Moses and Aaron here, as they're laying into them, God's presence interrupts them. So Moses and Aaron get a reprieve from their accusations. Verse 43, Moses and Aaron, they came before the tabernacle of the congregation and the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, Get you up from among this congregation that I may consume them as in a moment. Same thing as before. The Lord says, move out of the way, clear the blast zone. I'm wiping them out. Now we were just there yesterday. We're talking, I don't know which one, DEFCON 1 or 5 is the bad one, but whatever the bad one is, it's been that way for two days. Korah and the princes and Dathan and Byram do their thing and the Lord says, clear the blast zone. I'm judging them. And Moses and Aaron intercede. We're right back where we were the day before. And we see Moses and Aaron, they make the same response. It says, and Moses and Aaron fell on their face. They fell upon their faces before the Lord there. Now, their intercession for the people isn't recorded. But don't you find it fascinating that they're still praying for the people who are attacking them? How do you respond when you're attacked by others? Do you retaliate? Or maybe you don't retaliate publicly, but privately you hope something bad befalls them. I know I am like that. I'm like David. David would be like, okay, I'm not going to do anything, but Lord, break their teeth. Like inwardly, I've got a grudge. And if you're Yankees fans out there, I know you're hurting tonight because last night was rough. I am not a Yankee fan. I am eternally a Yankee hater. And here's why. I grew up in New York. I was a Yankee fan. And they traded my favorite player in 1982, Reggie Jackson. I have hated the Yankees ever since. I do cartwheels. I do all sorts of things that physically are impossible for me to normally do when the Yankees lose. I am delighted, okay? That's not (laughs) Jesus-like, right? But the idea here is, is that sometimes we can be like that. And we, Lord, I hope they don't get that promotion. You know, even though we don't do any harm to them, right? How do we respond when we're attacked by others? May God help us to be like these two guys who pray for them and pray good for them, not that God will wipe them out. What's interesting is if we read on Even though they intercede for the people, it didn't stop judgment this time. Why? Why this time does God not answer their prayer and show mercy? Well, because the scripture says that God's spirit won't always strive with man. You can keep violating over and over again God's principles and he'll show you mercy, but eventually there comes a stopping point. Eventually there comes a place where it goes, I love you so much, I have to do something because you're not changing. I have to get your attention somehow because you're not responding to mercy. 
God's hand is always first extended in mercy. He always first extends his hand and says, please, don't do this. Don't keep doing this. I don't want to have to discipline you. I don't want to have to judge you. But if it comes to a place where we're not taking his hand in mercy, his hand will still be out, but it will be out in discipline. And so God brings judgment. He has to deal with them because they keep violating their covenant agreement with God. And God has said, if you did that, I will do this. So he has to do something. He must deal with them. I don't know if it was that they heard the wails of the dying. We read here that they fell upon their faces, but then Moses in verse 46 said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put on incense. So it doesn't tell us why Moses says this. So I don't know if they heard the wails of the dying. I don't know what it was, but something told them judgment had already started. And that means it was not time to pray anymore. It was time for the high priest to do his job. And so Moses instructs Aaron to intervene. Verse 46, Moses says unto Aaron, I want you to take a censer, put fire thereon from off the altar. This would be the altar of incense that was burning all the time. And then put incense on that censer, the fire that's there, so it will burn and smoke will go up and go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them for there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague is begun. So what Aaron would have to do at this point is as the high priest, that's not Moses' job, he's not the high priest. He has to go into the tabernacle where he had had the morning offering or the evening offering, whatever it was. And when he did the morning or evening offering, he would go and sprinkle the blood on the altar of the golden altar, the golden altar of incense. But while he was doing that, he would also come and he would take incense and fire and that was sanctified and he would light it and he would pray for the people. And the smoke going up would symbolize that God was hearing his prayers for the nation. So he says, Aaron, you need to go in and get one of the approved censers that was dedicated to the Lord. Take some of the approved coals, the coals that have been dedicated to the Lord. Take some of the approved incense. That was where the other group messed up. Put it on there and burn it and then go out of the tabernacle among the congregation where the plague is and make atonement for the people. You might be thinking to yourself, how could incense used for the golden altar atone for the people's complaining and grumbling and blame? Well, what's interesting is that's how the Day of Atonement actually started. Let's look at Leviticus 16. The Day of Atonement was the day of national forgiveness. It was the day when the nation would afflict their souls. They would assume an attitude of repentance where they would seek the Lord. They would fast and they would get their hearts right with the Lord. And then they would bring the offerings and do this thing. But before they did any of that, before the high priest would bring any offerings, he would have to go and make himself right with the Lord. And he would start that off by going before the Holy of Holies and offering incense to the Lord. In Leviticus 16, verses 11 through 13, it says this, And Aaron shall bring the bullock for the sin offering, which is for himself, and he shall make an atonement for himself and for his house. So this is before he makes atonement for the nation. He's got to make himself right with the Lord so he can then make atonement for the nation. It says that he will, for his house, he shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, verse 12. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord. So that would be the golden altar of incense, not the altar of sacrifice that's outside the holy place. He would take it off the altar of of incense, the golden altar. His hands would be full of sweet incense, beaten small, and he would bring it inside the veil, so into the holy of holies. And he would put the incense on top of the coals before the Lord, so that the cloud of the incense might cover the mercy seat that is upon the ark of the testimony, that he does not die. So when he would open up that veil to go into the Holy of Holies in the Day of Atonement, first he would put coals on the bottom and then put incense on top of it so smoke would go up and it would be a covering between him and the Lord's presence. That would be the only way that he could present himself and be acceptable to the Lord. 
So the incense served as a buffer between God's holy presence and Aaron's sin. So back in Numbers, we have the same concept going on here. This time, though, it would serve as a buffer between God's presence, which is judging the people right now, and the people's sin. So not his sin, but the people's sin. Remember, incense was a symbol of prayer. And when the high priest came and brought it to the golden altar, he never brought it based on his own righteousness. He would always bring it after he did the morning or the evening offering. The idea is that God accepted his prayers for the nation because he had brought the blood of the morning and evening offerings with that incense. That is very important to understand as we approach this situation because he's already taken care of Israel for the day. The day they're good. He has already been accepted by God. But the people have now sinned in a way that God has to deal with them. So they need someone to stand in the gap between them and God before it can be taken care of. Israel needs a covering. And at this point, the only one who can do it is the high priest. Back in number 16, verse 47. So Aaron took as Moses' commandment. He went and got a censer and he ran. He did all, the, got the coal, got the incense, and he ran. I mean, he's not wasting any time because people are dying. He ran into the midst of the congregation and when he gets there, it says, behold, it is a horrible sight that he sees. The plague was begun among the people. The people had already started dying. And so he put on the incense and he made an atonement for the people. I love here that Aaron ran. He didn't take his time People's lives aren't something to play around with. Our role as God's priests, because that's what we are. We are a kingdom of priests, right? Our role as God's priests is serious, isn't it? We ought to run to prayer and to share the gospel because people's lives are in danger and they're dying all around us. They need the Lord. I love what David Goodzik said. He said, prayer is no casual pursuit, no fatalistic exercise in self-improvement. Prayer moves the hand of God and it moves it to stop death and to give life. Do you believe that? We should never come to prayer and just think, I don't even know if this will work. We should never come like that. We have to understand that prayer moves the heart of God. You say, oh, so we twist God's arm? For people to describe prayer as almost like a kid holding his breath. Like, I'm not stopping praying until you give me what I want. <gasps> I'm a bad parent. I just say, fine, I'll let your face turn blue. But that's not how prayer is. You're not twisting God's arm. You're not making him do something he doesn't want to do. As we've already seen here, every time Moses prays or Aaron prays, it's because God wants to forgive. He wants to do this. But he's, he set it up where ask and you shall receive, right? Seek and you'll find. You have not because you ask not. It's not that God twists his arm or change his mind. It's a matter of God wants to act, but he's chosen to act through our prayers. You say, does that mean God might not move if I don't pray? Yes, yes. I don't care what your theology is about God's sovereignty, but that's what the Bible says. God, he answers prayer. He moves through prayer. So if you're not praying, then things can happen that are not good. And conversely, we might miss out on things or others might miss out on things that God wants to do. Let's take that seriously. Aaron gets out there and interjects that word behold, which means he was shocked. It just grabbed his attention immediately. It horrified Aaron. So many people had already died and it was spreading right in front of him. So without hesitation, he's already got the coal, he's got the incense, everything, the sensor, the coals, you know, heated, everything's there. And so now he just immediately takes the incense, puts it on the fire and smoke begins to go up. It begins to ascend and he makes an atonement for the people. Now, when it says he made atonement, Aaron didn't need to make a sacrifice. He'd already done so that morning or that evening, whatever time it was. Now was the time to put that blood to work. 
Now is the time to apply the blood. And so he comes before the Lord as their high priest who has already been accepted by God and he interposes himself between judgment, the judgment that's coming upon the people. Verse 48, and he stood between the dead and the living. And I love what it says, the plague was stayed. Amen. (laughs) He stood before the dead and the living. Listen, when Aaron stood before whoever was infected at that point in time with whatever it was, and, and it was beginning to spread. I don't know what, he held it up before the Lord, the incense. I don't know exactly what he prayed. But it had to have gone something like this. Lord, look at this incense. The only reason I can offer this to you is because of the sin offering you accepted earlier today. You accepted it and now I ask you to accept my prayer, to hear my prayer and show mercy to this people. Please stop the plague. And guess what? God heard his prayer. God heard his prayer. We are God's priests, the Bible says. There, I have some people sometimes, they'll say, so Father Will, they'll call me sometimes, or, or they'll call me, you know, oh, I hear you're a priest. I, I cringe, of course, but I shouldn't because they don't mean any harm when they say that. They don't know the difference between a, a pastor or a priest. I don't come between you and God. None of the leaders here come between you and God. There's one mediator between God and men, and that's Jesus. That's it. That's what the Bible says. He, of course, is our great high priest, and Aaron is a picture of him. But we are God's priests. All of us have that role of going before the people in the Lord's name and then going before the Lord in the people's name. We have that role. Our job is to stand in the gap for others, praying for God's mercy based on what Jesus did, our sacrifice, right? Our job is to say to the Lord, I know they've earned your wrath. I know, I know my cousin or my uncle or my this or my that. I know they've earned your wrath, but Lord, so did I. And you were merciful to me until I came to my senses. So I stand on their behalf now, Lord. I'm here because they can't pray for themselves. They won't pray for themselves. So I stand here on their behalf and I ask that you keep working on them just like you kept working on me. And let me tell you something. Because that's God's heart, he will. He will work on them. He's not gonna let them go. Never underestimate the power you have when you stand in the gap for someone. Because when you do it, the very heart of God is beating through you. That's his heart. So don't ever give up on people. Don't ever Keep praying, keep standing for them. Now, plague was stayed at this point, praise the Lord. But notice what had happened in the short time before he went out there. And he ran, so I mean, this was fast. Everybody would have died if he didn't get out there quick. Verse 49, now they that died in the plague were 14,700. And this is beside those that died about the matter of Korah the day before, the 250 plus the day before. And so Aaron returned unto Moses into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and the plague was stopped. This was a horrible thing and yet it could have been worse. And I wanna encourage you, don't wait until you suffer a massive loss to take your role as God's priest seriously. Don't wait for your kids to go nuts before you start interceding for them daily. Don't wait for something horrible to happen before you're someone who's regularly on your knees for others. The plague being stayed is God's mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. They deserve judgment and God stays the plague. So they get mercy. That's all that's happened up to this point. But see, God also wants to give them grace too. So here's where chapter 17 comes in. Chapter 17, verse one. And the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, I want you to speak unto the children of Israel. And I want you to take of every one of them a rod, a walking staff or a stick. I want you to take from every one of them a rod according to the house of their fathers, of all their princes, all their leaders, according to the house of their fathers, 12 rods. So one for each tribe. And he says, I also want you to write every man's name upon his rod. So the appointed leader for every tribe, I want you to bring me a walking stick that belongs to them. 
put their name on it. Verse three, and also you shall write Aaron's name upon the rod of the tribe of Levi. For one rod shall be for the head of the house of their fathers. And this is what I want you to do with those rods. I want you to lay them up in the tabernacle of the congregation before or in front of the testimony, which is the Ark of the Covenant, where I will meet with you. So I want you to take all those rods and put them in the Holy of Holies. Just slide them in there through the veil, right where the Ark of the Covenant is, so you can't see them. And it shall come to pass, verse 5, that the man's rod whom I shall choose, the one that I've picked to be the, the priestly leaders here, that rod, it will blossom. A staff or a walking stick is no longer alive. It's not attached to the tree. It doesn't bud anything anymore. The kids, we have some funky trees out in the backyard. We have less now since the hurricane, but we had some out there. And the kids just love it when storms happen because it blows inevitably a big branch down. And they all become Gandalf the Grey for a week. They're holding out a staff or whatever and walking around. Frequently, they want to bring these disgusting things into the house. And I'm a bit of a stickler for that kind of stuff. And so I I don't like it in the house. But inevitably, I always find one in the house. The cool thing about those things is I don't have to worry about them growing anymore because they're detached from the tree. They're dead. They don't have life in and of themselves anymore. So what God is saying he'll do here is he's saying, I'm going to take these dead sticks and I'm going to cause them to blossom. They're going to sprout leaves. They're going to, like they're alive. I will, but for the one that I choose, the rest of them will stay dead, but the one that I choose, it'll sprout leaves like it's still alive. And I, by doing this, I will make to cease. I will get rid of the murmurings of the children of Israel, whereby they murmur against you. Now, I imagine Moses is going, please, God. <laughs> but really, it's not for Moses necessarily. It's for the people. Do you see God's loving heart here? He didn't have to do this. This is grace. He's giving them something they haven't earned. Not only does he show them mercy, not give them what they deserve, but he's giving them something they haven't earned. See, he wanted to prove by a miracle, by creating life from something dead, that Aaron was the man that he chose for the priesthood. He longed to cure their complaining and to stir their hearts to just trust him. Now, is it reasonable for them to wonder that it's convenient that Aaron, Moses' brother, gets picked for the job of high priest? Certainly. My dad was my baseball coach all through my younger years and sometimes through my older years. Well, he's always my coach, but he was officially my coach for my younger years. And he was always harder on me because he didn't want anybody to think that he was putting me in an important position because I was just his son. He wanted to know that I had earned it. I had deserved it. And so, you know, that idea of nepotism is something that Hey, it's out there. People wonder, oh, why'd they get the job? How come his wife got the job? How come, you know, his son got the job? Or how come his uncle got the job? You know, that's out there. So I understand why that thought might be in people's heads. But God wants to cure them of that forever and show, listen, it doesn't matter that Aaron's related to Moses. I picked Aaron. I picked him. And I'm going to prove it to you by doing a miracle so that you can get rid of all these weird ideas in your head and you can just trust me and let's move forward. Verse six, Moses carries out God's instructions. And Moses spoke unto the children of Israel. Every one of their princes gave him a rod apiece. For each prince, one. According to their father's house, even 12 rods. And the rod of Aaron was among their rods. And Moses laid up the rods before the Lord, in front of the presence of the Lord, and the tabernacle of witness. So a day goes by, the next morning, verse eight. Came to pass that on the morrow, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. And I love this, it says, and behold, The rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and it brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. Now I'll get to that in a moment because that's not just a miracle, it's an incredible miracle. But I love that Moses is the guy writing this and he's recalling his own experience that he walked in and he pulls the rods out from underneath the veil and behold, 
Aaron's rod is alive. I mean, he was blown away by what God had done. I read that and I thought to myself, God, let me always be in awe of you like that. Let me never lose the wonder of what you do. Here's a guy who's walked through the Red Sea and yet God still blows him away every time he does something amazing. Well, what was it that blew him away? Well, he pulls out the rods, Aaron's rod for the house of Levi was budded. And he explains how it brought forth buds. These are the beginning of fruit. It blossoms, it flourished with flowers and it yielded almonds, which are the nuts. That's referring to the nuts of almonds there, almond nuts. If you look at a Middle Eastern almond tree, this is a description of one in full bloom. When we were coming down the city of David, we were in Israel, there's, it's really steep. So you come down a ton of steps and then you go through Hezekiah's tunnel. It's one of my favorite spots that I, I saw when I was there. As you're going down, you come to one spot. It was in season and there was an almond tree there. I guess I'd never seen an almond tree or at least not one from the Middle East. And it's got white flowers with like red buds and things that come out. They're just absolutely gorgeous. It almost looks like a winter tree. It's just beautiful. It looks like red flowers with snow all over them. It's just, they're gorgeous. And in full bloom, that's how they look. So not only did God make the rod bud, it's not like he pulled it out and had like this little sapling. This thing was in full bloom. He took it and he not only created life from something dead, but he sped up the process to the point where it would occur over months had occurred right then and there, overnight. The people continued to rebel against Moses and Aaron. Ultimately, their rebellion was against God. God is a God of the miraculous. He can make everything change in an instant, should that be what pleases Him. All He tells us to do is to trust Him and continue to pray. Continue to pray and intercede for our loved ones and those around us. For this is how God has chosen to work through us. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.